Welcome to Silverbacks Valley. I'm your host today, and my name is Ibrahim Sanya. Gentle reminder before we start, click that subscribe button and never miss stories of founders and funders changing sports, tech, and entertainment from Africa to the rest of the world. Now, enjoy the show. This episode is supported by IRL, an original podcast from Mozilla. Bridget Todd, its host, invites you to a new season title, People Over Profits. If you are into artificial intelligence, AI, this is a show for you. Download Mozilla IRL wherever you get your podcasts. We at Silverbacks Valley are big fans. I'd like to first thank you all for attending and to thank my friend Kareem, uh, who's uh, just uh, lied a bit about the, the age. I think he's more than 25. It's great to also have a truly outstanding panel here with some old friends, some portfolio investments, and also some new friends. And uh, you will see from what you've heard a few minutes ago from uh, previous interaction with partners, co-investors, when the mood was a lot happier, things have changed a little bit over the last year. We're going through a bit of a winter, a tech winter. But it's not all lost. I'm going to start the panel with our eminent Dr. Mohammed here, who probably gave birth to the first uh, unicorn in the country. So we'll start by asking him whether there is hope for more unicorn babies to come up and what needs to be done. Uh, I think yes. Uh, a lot of unicorns are uh, ready to be there. However, is the... Um, um, the question would be, uh, is it good to have a unicorn as a return or not? Because sometimes a unicorn is not a solution for a good return. Um, uh, building a good company uh, that can really return good money to LPs, is, I think it should be the objective. So uh, if you invest in a company with that, that in mind, and uh, lucky you, become, you have a unicorn, that would be great. Uh, as Disruptic, we have a unicorn in our portfolio, and uh, we're happy that we had uh, participated in the journey, and we're looking forward to get a return from um, exiting one day from that. However, we have made, a, a, I would say, a very decent return from a non-unicorn exit. So I think because Africa is different, and Africa is not a Silicon Valley, and this is something that I would always um, have to talk about because we have some issues uh, that is chronicle and will continue to be there. And as long as much as there is a great opportunity uh, in Africa and there is a huge opportunity to make money in the tech space, you have to deal with Africa, uh, to invest in Africa the African way, not the Silicon Valley way. And Africa has very similarities in the problems and also have a lot of similarities in the macro issues. Currency, uh, devaluation, uh, challenges in the regulatory environment, uh, capability to cash out and exit. So if we all agree that this is something that is different, we have to create our own African way of investment. Uh, if I would describe it, I would describe it as um, being disciplined, uh, uh, really factor in that there is macro issues that you're going to face along the way. Uh, and if with that in mind, and you ask the founders to 
act in a way that is more of doing more with less, that will make you get a good return uh, as a company, either as a unicorn or as a good exit and a good return. Thank you very much, doctor. So I'll summarize, stay disciplined, pursue an African way, and getting a unicorn is not necessarily the solution. Getting a good company is why we get out, out of bed. Thank you very much for all that wisdom. Mariam, over to you. Mariam uh, and I go back because their fund allowed me to participate in two former unicorns, so make some uh, pretty pleasant gains. I'll be curious to know whether those old habits will continue. <laughs> and in the case of uh, Lofty, they not only are present here, but they are active in probably over 30 different African markets. But I will not steal your thunder, Mariam. Uh, thanks very much for that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, um, you know, where I liked what Lexi was saying about, you know, it's obvious, right? A lot of us that are here, you know, are willing to take risks. But taking risks to the extent that you go into markets um, and countries that aren't obvious, that you might know a little but not too much, was really, uh, you know, key for us. Um, when we first started to um, you know, convince people or, you know, invite people to invest in uh, tech in Nigeria in 2012, some laughed, right? And then when our Nigerian founding partner, um, you know, started to invest as a Nigerian in Egypt in tech startups in 2017, that didn't come without its challenges. Um, you know, extend that till today, where, you know, of course, uh, right now, a lot are looking at, you know, the francophone block. We already have less than, um, a little less than 10 investments there. Last week, our team was in Zambia, Gabon. I mean, this is really critical, right? Um, you know, there was, there's a lot of talk about the big four and, and, and obviously Egypt being one of them. We're probably gonna touch on it uh, in this um, session. But one of the things that I liked was in the last quarter, 30% of uh, venture funding went to what is called rest of Africa. I mean, later on, we might dec decide if we like that terminology, but, for, but I, I think that's really critical because um, we all know that, you know, you can't be prosperous on your own if your neighbors aren't definitively, you're not, you know, um, that, that definitively makes your prosperity quite fragile. And so I think most of us here firmly believe in uh, prosper prosperity across the continent. And one thing that's extremely important is to ensure that, you know, ultimately we're looking for returns. So quite frankly, we're obviously heavily skewed towards investing in the big four. That's where the most active markets are. Egypt, of course, being one that, you know, naturally have a personal bias towards. Uh, but really looking around extension beyond these markets, the cross-pollinization of, cross-pollinating ideas, um, expansions, and, and businesses, you know, I think regionally and then across regions, we're seeing a very strong corridor. One thing we were able to do is um, kind of establish a very strong corridor between Nigeria and Egypt. One of our portfolio companies expanding from Nigeria and Egypt, and yesterday was with a, a health tech, an Egyptian health tech expanding into Kenya. I mean, I think so, so that, you know, kind of, uh, once again, just that extension within a region and then across the regions is, is really critical. Excellent, Mariam. So the key point I take away is intra-Africa trade. Make sure that your neighbor is in good health and collaborate and don't stay only focused on one market. So diversification. And in terms of diversification, uh, my good friend Dina obviously 
they have one of the oldest firm in the sector that basically fundamentally manages the kindergarten for all these aspiring adults. And they've been doing it for many years, but you have been one of the first to diversify out of Egypt. So why don't you tell us about what you guys have been seeing in the portfolio, what are the surprises you see, and what are the things you warn against, and what should we do to mitigate them? Thank you, Ibrahim. So yeah, it's been a tough 12 years. Uh, we saw some of the worst, <laughs> the worst times of venture capital. I mean, you, you mentioned sort of the early days in 2012 when people left. We got that a lot. Um, and in 2012, um, I think in an asset class that is already in the Middle East and wider Africa perceived as a much higher risk asset class to try and do seed was just completely absurd. Like for, for most people, it was just like throwing money uh, out the window. And so it took Flat6 Ups quite a bit of time to sort of establish that um, if done right, seed is not necessarily any riskier than a Series A or Series B uh, venture capital. Um, and there's a, it's just a very different investment thesis and a very different investment model um, to, to later stage investment. Um, but it is, I mean, you speak of kindergarten and, and, it's, and it's interesting because I always anecdotally say the average age of founders when we started Flat6 Abs was close to 24. Now it's closer to 35. And so actually the market has matured significantly. I mean, it was kindergarten. I mean, I, I think we still are the first interface and, the, and, the, and usually the first point of contact in terms of venture capital. But there's a, a whole new breed of founders that we're seeing now and, it, and accordingly a whole new breed of transactions, right? Um, I remember when Flat6 Labs, uh, I mean, it, it's a well-known fact, but we used to be so greedy as the only people in the market and as seed investors, we would take 15% um, for our seed ticket. Um, and then we realized that that's no longer market competitive. And so we dropped it to a maximum of 10, 10%, which drove valuations to maybe 2 million Egyptian pounds at the time. And every single someone in the market turned around and said, you guys are disrupting the market. You've increased valuations. How could you? Uh, now the founders have completely sort of non-founded expectations of valuations now. 10 years later and you look at seed and pre-seed transactions that are in the millions of dollars without any validation. And so the market has shifted. And I guess, Ibrahim, it goes to your point on what are the goods and the bads, right? It started out as a statement of we're going through winter. I'm Egyptian, so winter for me is an unknown uh, concept. But um, but but you, you think of it and it's true. There's, there's good and bad in that winter. I, I think we had some really good years. And for us as people who had to struggle with um, again, proving an asset class and, and many people saying, oh, this sounds like a good CSR project. And we would tell them, please just give us exactly the same check to invest. And they say, no, no, I don't need to see it back. It was a struggle. And so it was nice to see the years 2018 to 2020 and 2021 when things finally started happening. However, also as someone who's been there before 2018, I think it's good for everyone to just sort of step back, take a slow down, a, a breather and to sort of recalibrate market dynamics, which is fantastic. Um, having said that, that did come at the cost of many founders now that are extremely struggling because it's a much drier market. Um, overall in Africa, VC has dropped by 60 to 50 to 60 percent in terms of both number of transactions and also value of transactions. Um, in Africa, maybe slightly less tampered than in, in, in MENA, where it's a close to 40%. Um, and then the second issue is that we're saying, um, we're seeing particularly in Africa, 
seed as a percentage of overall transactions go from being 70% as a number, which makes sense because you want to have in a healthy ecosystem that sort of wide base of transactions that allow into a funnel for the Series A, Series B and onwards, where now it's only 30%. And, and I think that is that for me is the alarming part because you have to think of what's next. What's the next two years looking like in terms of um, pipeline created for the later stage investors as well? Um, in many ways, this is also reflected into some of the transactions that you see by the Series A investors, where a lot of the times the Series A investors feel like the pipeline is drying up. And so quite a few of them have shifted upstream into doing themselves seed investments but in a Series A format. And, and so, which is good and bad because it could also lead to a market disruption in terms of valuations, but I guess someone had to sort of fill the gap of the lack of funding um, at the seed level. And, and unfortunately, I think we're seeing um, quite a few of the seed fund managers um, currently being in hiatus in between funds, which is putting a lot more pressure at the base of the pyramid. Um, so these are, I think, some of the of my key takeaways and observations over the past decade, and, and then more recently, um, Q3 we're starting to see a bit of a of a turn in that downtrend, and, and so that's optimistic, and, and hopefully that continues um, into sort of next year and, and the end of that year. Dina, thank you very much for that very contrasted um, summary. It definitely shows that uh, there's a bit of sun, a bit of cloud. But it's not all loss. But I think my biggest takeaway from what you just said is that we need to be aware that the proportion of seed in terms of volume out of the overall activity is dropping. And that's not necessarily a good sign. But this last quarter, there's a recent growth. And also the announcement of a, another unicorn. And I will uh, take that opportunity to let our dear friend tell us about it because up to now, all the unicorns you had in the Africa GCC region systematically came from Egypt or Sub-Saharan Africa. The only one that came out of the, another G, in the, the entire GCC was Kareem. And it seems as if that has changed. Why don't you tell us about that change? The BNPL model uh, globally has hemorrhaged, so like to see uh, this model succeed in the region comes to show that fintech, the fintech market is very different in the MENA region and the GCC in comparison to the global market, and it gives a lot of like it gives a lot of invest, uh, investors this like hope and like this opportunity to invest in this region because it is significantly different than the global market. Also highlight Tavi because it comes to show the first point that you were talking about about companies expanding into other markets, either from the GCC to MENA or from across Africa, from Sub-Saharan to, to Egypt. And like all these countries or all these markets, from a VC perspective, they're very similar. And it's got very natural for companies that operate in any of these markets to, to expand or like uh, or to go to, to switch from one market to the other very easily without VCs really being hands on with them. And the only thing that is needed is for barriers to be removed, either support with like licenses or regulations or like helping, like helping in that sense for these companies to, to operate. And Tabi managed to do that. And a few other companies from the GCC have managed to do that within, within the GCC. And a few companies have managed to do that within Sub-Saharan Africa and, and Egypt. Fantastic. This episode is supported by IRL, an original podcast from Mozilla. Bridget Todd, its host invites you to a new season title, People Over Profits, 
If you are into artificial intelligence, AI, this is the show for you. Download Mozilla Area wherever you get your podcasts. We at Silverbacks Valley are big fans. So basically the collaboration should not be only with countries within the African continent, but looking north to the GCC, that there is greater strength to be built together. Now that's, uh, that's solid. Now that we've gone through elucidating that it's not all dark, the beauty of uh, going through a challenging time is to sit back and to figure out that these are the signals, but these are the symptoms. So out of the past recent season and change, what have you summarized to be key traits you each seek to find in a founder or in an opportunity, thus allowing you to focus better? Because obviously less capital is going to transaction as you've pointed out, Dina, but I would assume that with the dry capital available, people are still transacting. So what are those criteria? Let's start with you, Dr. Mohammed. I think the most important uh, uh, thing that we're looking for is resilience. So um, resilient founders are people who, uh, as I mentioned before, are able to work uh, under tough conditions and to uh, do a lot with uh, very limited resources. Um, the, the FOMO that we had in 2022, 20 and 21 has created abundance of capital that actually, in my, my point of view, has spoiled the market have caused the ecosystem to act in a way that uh, the um, access to capital is always to be there and it's very cheap. And uh, realistically, that would, could have, no, have, not, have never been, should not have been a sustainable model. So what's happening now is that we have a reality check. And uh, although that people are looking at it as a bad thing, we are looking at it as a very positive thing. It is something that is very needed, highly needed for an ecosystem that is maturing in Africa. And tough times makes the maturity is high. And I think end of days after I think we are going out of this very soon with a very solid companies that can really uh, navigate because they have built a very solid uh, 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 foundation who are capable to drive growth without having a, a lot of capital. And this is very key. I mean, companies who succeed definitely have to do that, have to be able to manage the available capital in the best way. So investing in technology, for example, and in tech stuff is very important. But in investing in fancy offices, investing in travel, uh, travel uh, budget is not, to me, a very uh, wise thing to do. It was wise when you have money. It was not wise now. Thank you, Dr. Mariam. Over to you. Thanks, yeah, absolutely. I think we all agree with that. And I think to build on that, you're kind of looking for a few really interesting elements within the team. Resilience, of course, being one, um, but you're sort of looking for three almost conflicting um, personalities. Um, so, you know, it's hard to sometimes find that within one person, so are you looking for that within the team? So there's, the resilience is key, right? Um, and with the resilience comes something extremely important and operating in Africa, which is 
operational, whether it's operational hustle, execution capabilities, but that's really key because we're operating in markets with, with tremendous challenges both on the ground and above the ground from a regulatory perspective. So I think, so there's that, the resilience. But then you do also need that character or personality. Once again, it might be a different team member within the co-founding team or, you know, a different element within that personality is that dreamer who's willing to push the boundaries, which is imperative for, you know, what we're doing is ultimately looking at, you know, market creating innovations, people that are, you know, imagining the unimaginable. And, and that's truly where the value is. And so, so you have, you know, and then ultimately also then you need, you know, the, the old auntie in the room, like with the discipline, right? You need that person who is, um, and, and now once again, maybe it's, it's required more than uh, before, but that discipline around, which is what was being said, you know, also in the video around capital efficiency, you know, cash management, uh, really approaching growth, not necessarily with the Silicon Valley model, though much of us look at it completely aspirationally. It's not a criticism at all, but the reality is how applicable is it, right? So what growth means and, and you know, how that is achieved. So it's sort of this... Um, once again, if, if you kind of look at, let's say, like these three legs of the table, they, they might seem to be um, contrasting, but you do want to have all these elements um, within the team. Um, and I think apart from, because you were saying, like, what kind of founders, uh, it's not just characteristics for the founder, but also what is the startup doing? So at the end of the day, we like to, like, simplify it down to, at the heart of it, you know, Africans are traders, right? They're going to, they're all these people that are going about making trades and, and you know, needing to, um, you know, finance those and needing to move. So that's why when we come to look at like, you know, how to put together our thesis, you're trying to look at kind of um, sectors that are large enough that they tap into the everyday economy, right? Which is why, you know, speaking to financial services and, and irrespective, I think of some of the blows that it gets at the end of the day, it's just so core, right? And it will continue to, you know, comprise the, the lion's share of, of venture funding, you know, for at least the, the near term. So, you know, are they addressing markets that are, or in sectors that are, you know, um, you know, financial services and whether having to do with movement, so mobility, logistics, supply chain, um, you know, retail, once again, kind of going around that trade. So ultimately you're looking for a large enough that they're addressing you know, uh, a deep enough problem for a large enough audience. Mm. And then the team has to have those characteristics. So you got to make sure you have those in mind. Thanks, Mariam. <laughs> Dina? Um, so, so again, as a, as a seed investor, I, I think to, to, to stress on the team is preaching to the choir because when we invest, we have nothing but a team. And so um, it's team, 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 and then everything else. Um, but I think two observations from, from my perspective. One is, um, and, and maybe it's a summation for things that Mariam have mentioned, it's scalability. Um, now, what scalability means, in my opinion, is also defensibility. And I think that's what a lot more founders need to think of. Um, it's how to be in markets that are defensible. Um, I think it's, it's no surprise to most of the audience in the room and that the African content um, is very popular for uh, market shocks, for uh, FX instability, to, to sort of changes in, um, in purchasing power. Um, and so I, I would urge founders to not shy away from the, the things that are still intrinsic about the African market, because we are also seeing a, a, a sort of an emergence of a rhetoric of saying, oh, um, jump ship from Africa and, and go to greener pastures. And I think 
my my key takeaway is that the the story for Africa remains um, in the sense of having the youth, having the market, having the adoptability. I mean, I, I think of our early three cycles or three cohorts of investments. We did at Fat6 Labs. Um, they're all dead. Um, but every single one of them has a replica now that is doing fantastically well. And it's actually on its on its way to become maybe a unicorn or a $100 million. And the thing that has changed is just market adopt technology ad 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 like adoption um, in the market. And so the market in Africa hasn't changed. And so I feel like we need to have founders that are 10 times more resilient than they were before because if the market was... If VC was difficult back then, now it's probably a lot more difficult with a market downturn that we're going through. Um, but the, I, I personally believe the fundamentals from the perspective of the addressable market is still there. But that means we no longer, and, and goes to Selma's point, is that um, I look at companies that are no longer serving problems for the 5% of, of a market. They're serving problems for a 95% of the market. And they're serving problems that you can't avoid. And so one of our best performing companies, for example, Shifa, is a health tech pharma or a platform. We will constantly need medicine. We will const And so looking at these startups, is, I think, is the way forward. Um, the second point that I wanted to mention is, is that I feel like sometimes as a, as a, as a culture, we tend to, to very quickly react. Um, and so we, we've gone from a bubble market of expand at all costs to turn cash flow positive tomorrow. Neither of those work. <laughs> and so it's it's not this or that. And, and I think the whole concept of VC is being able to scale and grow. Um, and so it's going to be a very tricky period for a lot of founders that suddenly are faced with um, a choice of needing to extend their runway so much. Um, and how do they how do they not let that change the fabrics of, a, of the company in terms of massive growth that is still very sensible and unit economics centric. And so unit economics is a lot more of something that companies need to think of now, be it cash management being the long-term uh, vision to profitability, but they just need to be very aware it doesn't have to be tomorrow. It just has to clearly be something that you're able to communicate and think of. Whereas before, when, when money was a lot more available, I think many founders didn't think about that. Thank you, Dina. Sarah, over to you. So in terms of picking a founder or a company, I see it a lot like dating. So you're, you're kind of trying to see if there's chemistry with you, this founder. It's, you're building a long-term relationship with them. You, you're going to be on boards with them. You're going to be making a lot of decisions together long-term. So you want to make sure that you're picking someone that, that you trust, that is resilient, that has all the traits that you mentioned, and that and a bit, and that happens from the first meeting, like from the first time you meet them, like that first conversation is where you start building the trust up until the moment like you're done with the due diligence and then you're ready to sign the marriage papers, basically the term sheets and everything. And then you take it from there, you're with them. Like you want to help them with building their company, you want to help them with introductions, you're confident when you're int introducing them to new investors for follow-on investments. But so that, that's really how I see it. And that's really how, and it's, and it's a two-way street. Like I also want to impress the founder. I want, I want the founders to pick, to pick me and to pick ventures too, so that we're on the best deals. And it is very competitive, like everyone, like everyone mentioned. So if I'm not impressing them the way they're impressing me, then we're not going to go anywhere forward. Thanks a lot. There's definitely a lot of great traits uh, shared by the panel. I'll be curious to hear how are those conversations going with your pure accountant auditors when you're actually sitting and saying, this company has grown this much. You know, they've been accustomed to the arrow going up. 
And suddenly you're like, this one is flat, this one is down, this one is up, and the confusion on their face. Why don't you share a bit of those stories with the, who will volunteer first? I, I guess like in, the la in, the, in the last few years, it's been very easy to communicate with the auditor. You just sort of, the first year you give them, you give them the, the schedule of investments, like everything's up cost. The second year, it's like you have some uplifts, like especially last year, a lot of, a lot of companies were raising from, from global or international money. And this year, like, it got complicated. <laughs> now you have to explain to the, to the auditors, like, well, we went in the first round and in the follow-on, and in the follow-on, one of them is an uplift, one of them is a, is a cost, one is a down, <laughs> one is like a markdown, but it kind of averages out. And then you have to do that for the whole portfolio. Like, so, oh, like, we have, like, these five unicorns now, but, like, a couple, a couple of small ones shut down, but it kind of averages out. <laughs> So it's like, a, and it's a good exercise with the auditors because not a lot of them know what VC is. Like they're used to private equity and like the valuations are a bit different. So you sort of go through the exercise of explaining valuations to them and then explaining it in the, in the region in Africa and like in the GCC where we, we do it a little bit differently, like it's more creative. So it's, a, <laughs> it's definitely going to be a fun audit season. Happy to see this, not just us uh, going through that. Dina, you too? <laughs> no, I, I guess I, 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 I see the conversation with the auditor as, as good prep for conversations with LPs, um, which tend to be harsher. <laughs> but, Small penalties. <laughs> it's, it's, a good, it's a good prep talk. Uh, but no, I mean, it, it has, I, I think it's multi-layered because I think everything that Sarah has said stands to be true. Uh, but also in addition to our markets whereby yeah, I mean, similar to, to what His Excellency Muhammad Farid was saying earlier, there are now different applications to sort of how do you value, and there, there's a lot more with the venture capital industry growing attention from the regulators to try and regulate how do you value, um, and whereas before I can, I can get away with management discretion, <laughs> I can't quite get away with it now. <laughs> and so, so, no, it's tricky, but I think it's part of our learning experience, so it's not so bad. Yeah, with every new season, new close. That's a good segue into the conversation with the investors, because obviously, you know, we recently went through a couple of years of, sorry, the fund is closed. We cannot take your money. Really, I've given you the deadline. I can't change you. How are the conversations going now and what are the strategies in place? Maybe we start with uh, the legendary founder here, Dr. Mohammed. I think it is um, completely the reverse. So exactly, I mean, please give me your money. Uh, no, I think uh, I was talking to Mariam before the panel. I mean, the funds, the GPs who are raising are finding very difficult because the appetite of the asset class as a VC is changing. And the quality, the, the, the LPs are looking now for more of uh, deep stories to believe in and to back. Uh, also, the, the funds that have money and rather have an issue of deployment because of the, the, the market is not as, there is no good assets in the market as it much as it used to be. So both have problems and both have tough, uh, different conversation with LPs. Um, I think, again, one of the things that is very much needed is the maturity of the ecosystem and the level of maturity on the LP side. I mean, of course, DFIs, for example, are very familiar with what we're going through, very familiar with the investing in Africa, so they understand and they back you up, whatever happened. 
But other LPs, some of them are experienced and some of them are not experienced. They just came because they, there is a hype in this, this market and they wanted to be part of it. These people are worried and you need to understand you, you invest a lot of time to talk to them, explain to them what's happening and how. what's your plan uh, to do that. And it's very nice uh, to show them that there is always an opportunity to exit and to return money. Uh, so I think the, um, uh, one of the good things that we are looking at from this, this conversation is both are learning, GPs and LPs are learning how to invest and why to invest and what to expect. Thank you, Maren. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, we can all probably agree on um, how painful the fundraising process is. But um, so our experience was unique in the sense that um, some of our earlier funds were, um, you know, sort of angel syndicates. And so what we had, and this was intentional, to have African high net worth investors invest you know, in African startups. And of course, as you start, and there were institutional investors as well, but they were also African. Now, as you raise a larger fund, it, you know, you need to bring in more of the institutionals. Um, DFIs continue to be the strongest supporters of African VCs from a deployment perspective. What I love is that the sovereigns are coming in with a really uh, impressive ramp up. Uh, it's not only needed, but absolutely strategic. Um, what we, and then, you know, what we would like to see more of, of course, the high net worths are still there, and that's, once again, a function of relationship, and also, you know, it depends on the markets that you're in. What we'd absolutely like and need to see more of is family offices, right? So, the problem is with the term family offices, right? Because there's a lot of family wealth that isn't necessarily set up in that family office framework, where they're truly kind of looking at their capital and seeing how to allocate it. So that's one thing. And then those that, and, and so then that obviously has an impact on, you know, do those have, you know, will they allocate to this, um, you know, kind of high risk uh, the capital asset class. Uh, and then the ones that do have that structure, are absolutely trying to diversify out of the continent. And I get it, right? Because much of their wealth is generated from the continent, and so they're looking to diversify that risk. Understand it, but this is absolutely an area where, you know, I think there are large pools of untapped capital. And if we can crack that, uh, our experiences will be very different in fundraising. Great for that uh, insight. Dina, anything different you're seeing? I guess not. I, I think nothing to add. Uh, I think the only thing, again, to, to take note of is that a lot of us have um, been first-time fund managers uh, that just deployed their first fund. Um, and so I think it's unfortunate because a, a lot of even the usual suspects in terms of LPs, which are the DFIs, um, feel the need to show an exit, um, whereas, unfortunately, a lot of the GPs now are in a situation where it's the worst time to try and create an exit. And, and so I think this is also creating a bit of a mismatch in terms of um, higher LP expectations to justify the asset class, whereas the GPs, even the best of them, are struggling to, or not even wanting, even if they have to go through an exit at a, at a down market. So I think that is becoming part of the challenge of trying to fundraise um, in the current climate. Um, but I, but I, I think I, I fully endorse uh, what both Mohammed and, and Mariam said in, in terms of what we need to see uh, a stronger market as well. Thanks, Dina. What's the view from Dubai? 
But like 2020 and 2021 was definitely an inflection point because a lot of sovereign wealth funds came into play and they and they invested quite a lot of money and funds, especially in the GCC, and that created a lot of tailwind. And so like so so, so it was a good and a bad thing because. It was good because it gave all these funds an opportunity to create first-time fund managers to create a track record for themselves, but it was also strategic money, so it made it very hard for non-sovereign wealth funds to come in and invest. But right now, like all of these fund managers are raising for the second or the third time, so they have the track record to raise outside um, from DFIs or from institutions, and then the sovereign wealth funds are still investing in these funds, like they're 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 ra ramping up or they're they're upping in these funds again so like it's it's bittersweet in the sense that it's put them in a good position to continue operating and to continue fundraising um but with restrictions great all of this is really insightful one place where i rarely get an answer is in terms of raising capital from your local currency because we all sit here in our lovely continent raising capital in local currency, because we keep on getting dollars from foreign market, from someone that doesn't live in your country, and expect that to continue. In the meantime, your daddy and your uncle across the street is not giving you local currency. Are you seeing any shift happening anytime soon, considering that most of the founders we're backing are generating revenue in local currency? Anyone uh, been lucky and seen some accidental change at that yes. level? Yes, actually, in our fund, we have uh, one of our major LPs who invested with us in the Egyptian bounds. And this uh, is an instrumental, I agree, that we have to have a lot of local money because um, we are investing in companies that are generating mix between EGB and, and US dollars. So we have to have LPs that have this mix as well to facilitate things. Um, one important thing to, 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 to show is that uh, the valuation has also to convert to EGB. Mm -hmm. So uh, we talk about how much money you need in EGB and what we would value your company in EGB. And then at the time of payment, we convert it to the currency that we are paying with. That's key change that we have done in the last year. And it works well because, I mean, valuating on, on, a, on a US dollars that's fluctuating it does not make the transaction uh, possible and sometimes makes it longer for everybody. MashaAllah. Well, congratulations. I, I've seen some of those cases also in Nigeria and I think it's important to push more solutions in that direction because no matter whatever sexy term you use, fintech, clean tech, it's consumer space. And consumer space, consuming local currency. And I think we tend to forget that quite often. So I apologize, but we'd like to have you all give a round of applause for this eminent panel. And thank you for coming. Hey, if you liked today's story, press like, leave a comment, subscribe, come back for more stories from the founders and the funders changing sports, tech, and entertainment from Africa to the rest of the world. We look forward to seeing you again soon.